continuing in a series called Expectations, and what we've been talking about is the idea that we all have these expectations, uh, whether we like it or not. Um, When you went to bed last night, you expected to wake up this morning, and if that didn't happen, you're with Jesus, so that's good. Um, But you expected to wake up. You expected for your car to start if you went somewhere this morning. You expected um, uh, that um, your coffee would be made uh, from your coffee maker, that it would work. All these different expectations. I expect Tom Brady to win the Super Bowl next week, and so I'm excited about that. Um, And uh, so we've been talking about this idea that we all have expectations. There's nothing we can do about it. But um, how, how can we navigate them? Um, or maybe even avoid them altogether. And so last week we talked about the idea that um, we have expectations for others. Um, And we talked about the idea that uh, all expectations are bad. A professor in my seminary taught us this, that all expectations are bad. Why? Because you enter into a situation, you you, uh, navigate that situation based on something you think is going to happen rather than just being present in that situation. You, you expect certain things to happen. As a matter of fact, Alcoholics Anonymous has this to say, that expectations are premeditated resentments. You, you, you know what's going to happen. And we talked last week, and if you didn't listen uh, last week, I really encourage you to listen to that sermon because it was hard. It was really hard. I had uh, a number of people reach out to me and say they did not like that sermon because uh, it was all about expectations for others. And sometimes people meet your expectations and, and uh, they, they don't meet your expectations and that's annoying. Other times people do meet your expectations and that can be annoying. That they acted exactly like you knew they were going to act. If you're involved politically, uh, again, as I've said before, one of the things I love about our Living Spring family is we're kind of divided right down the middle on right and left. And so um, if you uh, are in, involved politically, the other side always ex- acts exactly as you expected. They're horrible, evil, terrible people. And they're, every time they open their mouth, they spew lies. And that's exactly what you expected. Well, we talked about that last week. We talked about what happens, uh, how do you handle your enemy, right? And we also talked about how do you handle people when they don't meet your expectations, We talked about the fact that expectations diminish gratitude. If you expect uh, that your partner's going to do the dishes, that your spouse is going to do the dishes, and they do the dishes, you're not grateful for that because you expected it. If you expect your kids to have their room clean and their room is clean, you don't say thank you because you expected that, and so it diminishes gratitude. We also talked about the fact that bitterness grows in a garden of expectations. You have all these expectations in this garden, and all it does is produce uh, bitterness. But the question We've been asking ourselves throughout this series, and we'll ask ourselves tomorrow, I mean uh, next week, because next week we're going to talk about when God doesn't meet your expectations. The question we've been asking ourselves is this, do you want God to meet your expectations or do you want to meet God? In other words, when you show up at that party or that event and the people are there, that uncle or aunt or friend or whatever, and they're acting exactly as you expected, Do you want to meet God in that situation? How would God have you respond to that person? How would God have you uh, be present in in that moment? And that's what we've been talking about. Well, this morning, I want to talk about expectations that might be the hardest week for you out of all of them. 
And that's when you don't meet your expectations. When you don't meet your expectations. Because you, just like me, have expectations for yourself. You expected to be at a certain place in your life, no matter what age you are, if you're in your teens or 20s or 30s or whatever, or you're like me, you're in your late 30s, and uh, you are just kind of going through life, you have certain markers of expectations that you would be at a certain place than you might be or might not be. So for you, you you might have thought you'd be married by now, and you're not, and so You're kind of disappointing yourself, maybe. Or maybe you thought you'd have kids, and you can't, or you don't. Or maybe you thought you'd be farther in your career. Or maybe you thought you'd be uh, a certain body shape, and that's not working out for you, or what have you. And these expectations we put on ourselves, or maybe they've been put on you by your family. Maybe they've been put on you because you come from uh, a certain culture, um, maybe it's by your uh, country of origin, your ethnicity, or, or maybe it's just the culture from your community, and there are certain expectations that people have for you, good or bad, and you are maybe meeting them or maybe not meeting them. But these are some of the most difficult expectations to get past because we never get away from the judge and the jury because it's us. How do we do that? How do we identify what those expectations are that we have for ourselves? Maybe you're new to the faith. Maybe you're just starting out and you're new to the Bible and you're new to Jesus and you're new to God and you say, I want to meet God, but I'm trying to get through my own stuff. And you thought that when you came to Jesus that your problems would be solved or you would get over this certain hurdle that you've been trying to get over your whole life and you haven't been able to do it. And you go, man, what does God think about me? Well, what we're going to do this week is we're going to talk about uh, the Apostle Paul. He wrote a letter to the Corinthians, this this church in Corinth that he started. And uh, Corinthians has um, two, there are two letters that he wrote. He actually wrote a third letter, um, but we don't have it. I don't know why we don't have it, but he references it in 1 Corinthians. He references a prior letter that he wrote. Um, uh, Again, I don't know if he just wrote it and God's like, yeah, we're not using that one in in the Bible. We'll have the Holy Spirit help you with this next letter. I don't know. I don't know how it all worked out. Well, we don't have the letter, okay? And so uh, Paul started this church and then he left to go plant some other churches and the wheels kind of started falling off of that church. And so he had to write two Uh, relatively strong letters to this church. And so in the midst of this, we learn some things about Paul, about how he was able to conquer the expectations that others had for him and that the expectations that he has for himself. And so we'll look at that. How do we get past those things? And then what we're going to do is look at an example of a disciple uh, of Jesus that kind of didn't meet any of the expectations that you have for a disciple. I don't know about you, but I kind of think of myself, if I were a disciple, I would have done a lot better 
than those disciples. I would have understood most of the parables, probably all of them. Um, I would have uh, corrected the other 11 and explained to them what Jesus really meant, and I would have been very pious and patient and amazing. I don't know if you feel that way. Uh, like, if you were able to be right next to Jesus, wouldn't you be a better person? Well, this disciple was terrible. So we're going to look at this disciple and see how Jesus handles him not meeting even his own expectations. So we're going to start in Corinthians in um, chapter 1, starting in verse 10. And so what has happened is Paul has planted this church and then a guy named Apollos came and began to shepherd the church. And people began to take sides, uh, kind of like you would if, if, if with any change in leadership. Uh, when I came here 15 years ago, I remember um, I had been here like four weeks and I was new to being a pastor. Uh, I was in business before that. And I was super insecure because I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, it was very obvious. And so like my fourth week here, the old pastor showed up and sat in the back and was listening to my sermon. And, uh, and everybody was all happy to see him. And I'm like, like a little baby. Like, hey, you know, I'm over here. I'm actually the the pastor, the actual pastor of the church. And so, uh, but that was what it was like. It was, it was like Apollos and Paul, and they started picking sides. Now, fortunately, Living Spring didn't pick sides or anything like that. Um, uh, but that's what it was like for this church in Corinth. There's Apollos and there's Paul, and they started throwing their expectations on, well, I like this person better because they're meeting more of my expectations. So here's what Paul writes uh, in verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus, uh, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there would be no divisions among you. No divisions among you, but that you might be perfectly united in mind and thought. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> I mean, just that alone. This should be the mark of a healthy church. No matter where you are politically, no matter who you root for in the Super Bowl, Tampa Bay, uh, no matter what you're doing, that we would be united in the things that are most important. Don't get me wrong, politics is incredibly somewhat important, but not nearly as important as the gospel, not nearly as important as the word of God. And so he's writing these things that there shouldn't be any divisions Apollos is wonderful. Paul is wonderful. They even started talking about Cephas or Peter, who we're going to see in a little bit. Spoiler alert. But that, that they're, they're kind of going for the, they're picking the pastor they want. The, the, the expectations are being met. And Paul says, stop doing that. Stop doing that. And then what he does is he talks about uh, maybe some expectations that they had for Paul that he wants to um, put aside. So I'll just speak just as honestly as I can as a pastor. When people have expectations for me as a pastor, so uh, I have a friend who shepherds another church that's an entirely different culture than Living Spring. And the expectation is this. He wakes up in the morning on Sunday, very, very, very early. He prays, then he preaches, and then he goes to parties. He goes to all their birthday parties, whatever they're celebrating, it, it is the expectation that the pastor show up, right? 
And so you might have that expectation for your pastor. Like for me, you might think, hey, I have a party. Uh, the pastor should show up, bring a nice gift that he or she made with their bare hands, and it should be a cross or something spiritual or uh, like a scripture verse that they've done in calligraphy or whatever. I'll never meet that expectation. I'm just telling you right now. And so you might have another expectation. We had a pastor, uh, Lisa and I, for the church that we came from. He would pray for 24 hours straight, like once a year. He'd pray 24 hours. That might be your expectation for me. I will not meet that expectation. I, I just, it's just not who I am. I have a friend who's a pastor. When he fills his car up with gas, I don't know how this works. He leads someone to the Lord. while he, like, Literally, there'll be someone there, and, they'll, and he'll say, are you doing okay? And they'll start crying, and then they'll give their life to Jesus. I'm like, why is the gas taking this long? Like, that's, that's your pastor, okay? So, so, but here's the thing. I don't get upset at your expectations for me. Do you know why? Because I have higher expectations for me than you have for me. And I don't measure up to them. And so I, no matter how hard you could be on me, I'm going to be harder on me than you could be on me. Right? And I think, I could be wrong, I think you're the same. I think you're the same as a parent you look at the way you're parenting, whether you're a mom or a dad, and you're thinking to yourself, I could be doing so much better. I, 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 can only, I, I, don't know, I, I don't know what it's like to be a mom, but of all the moms I know, this is like a really big thing for moms. They feel like they're never doing enough. You are, but they feel like they're never doing enough. Maybe uh, for you, it's, it's, you're, you're, you have a business or you are trying to build something, and you're just hard on yourself. What is that? Well, Paul is in this situation and he's saying, don't have these expectations and put them on me or put them on Apollos or put them on Cephas. Be unified on the things that you're supposed to be unified. And then he goes on and he says this. For Christ, is verse 17, did not send me to baptize. So if your expectation for Paul is that he's going to come and baptize a whole people, a bunch of people, that's not his gifting. My gifting is not to pray for 24 hours straight or, or to fast for between meals. But the, the, like that's not like, that's, and Paul's saying, like, I don't baptize. My thing is to preach the gospel. That's what I do. Someone else can do it. As a matter of fact, earlier Paul says this, I planted, I plant churches and I preach the gospel. That's what I do. Apollos waters. Like, he, he's the one who spends time and nurtures and do, does all those things. Paul says, that's not me. I'm comfortable with what my gifts, giftings is, are, my giftings are. Not with wisdom and eloquence. And Apollos was known for being like a really good orator. I have friends who are pastors that can preach circles around me. They're just incredible orators. I have a friend, John, uh, down in Marietta that it's like, I don't even watch his sermons, okay? They're kind of depressing. So, uh, with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. That's what Paul does. He preaches Christ crucified, which we'll see in a second. He goes on, uh, uh, 
uh, in verse 22, uh, we skip a few verses. He says, Jews demand signs. That's their expectation, signs. Greeks look for wisdom. They want to see you, you know, give, when you talk about uh, spiritual things, you talk about Jesus, they, they want to see um, wisdom, like really deep thought. And Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. That is what we are unified around. Not the expectation of you came to Christ and you thought you'd be farther along, more mature than you are. Those things are great. Goals are great. Vision for yourself is great. But when we get stuck on these expectations for ourselves without going back to who we were in Christ and who we are in Christ, what our value is, our value is measured not by the things of the world. The wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. And the foolishness is wiser than the wisdom of the world. It's a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. Our expectations are built on the value that God has given us. He goes on, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Isn't that encouraging? You don't have to worry about what's going on politically, what's going on in your community. You don't have to worry about those things. You want to be educated in them? Fine. But at the end of the day, our culture, no matter who's in office, no matter who's in Congress, no matter what they do, it's compared to the wisdom of God speaking into our lives, it's foolishness. He says this, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom. Your expectations for yourself, my expectations for yourself, all they are is human wisdom. And no offense, but not the smartest human on the planet. You're basing your expectations on yourself based on flawed reasoning. If my expectation is that I'm supposed to be a certain type of pastor, a certain type of husband, a certain type of father, a certain type of man, and I'm not reaching those expectations, who's putting those expectations on me? Is it Jesus? Probably not. Probably not. Is it others or my culture or, you know, expectations that people have for me? I hope not. I don't want my faith to rest on human wisdom, especially my own, but on God's power. So Paul goes on, and so for two chapters, Paul talks about Human wisdom versus godly wisdom. It, you can read them yourself, but it just goes on with this juxtaposition between how do you want to live your life? Do you want to live it based on, on, on your own expectations for yourself, other people's expectations for you? Or do you want it to be based on God's value for you, of who you are? And your expectations could be completely different for yourself than our, uh, mine are. And it could be based on things that you have no control over to begin with, right? From birth, we've all been given different paint jobs, right? So you look in the mirror, and depending on your paint job, you could have expectations for yourself. That's, that's human wisdom. That's, that's human wisdom. You might have been born in a family that had certain expectations for you, that you would go to, I'll give you an example, just 
based on my own life and the family I grew up with. Ever since I was a little kid, there was an expectation that I would go to college. It was never a question. Like, even when I was little, I remember in, when we, I grew up in New Jersey until I was 11. I remember being like eight years old, sitting, doing my homework. And I said to my parents, how long do I have to be in school? And they said, well, once you get done with elementary school, then you have junior high. Junior high. <laughs> yeah. You've got junior high. Okay. You've got junior high. And then you have high school, and then you go to college. I didn't even know it was an option. Had I known it was an option, I probably would have gone to trade school. But I ended up going to college. So that was, those were expectations that were placed on me. In your household, it might have been the exact opposite. You don't go to college. You go to trade school. You do whatever. And maybe you're not living up to those. That is human wisdom, not God's wisdom for you. So here's what Paul says, getting to chapter 4, he sums it all up. And he says this, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. If Paul were saying it right now, I don't care how many likes my post got. I don't care. I don't care if, if I get canceled or Twitter hates me or whatever. My, my whole life, is my value is not based on humans. It's based on Jesus. And what does Jesus say about my failed expectations? What does Jesus have to say about where I missed the mark? That's the only thing that matters. He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you about the decisions I make, how I live my life. I, I don't. Here's what Paul's saying. I don't care about you. <laughs> okay? That's basically what he's saying. Now, how do you get there? Well, he gives us a clue. So he says, I don't care about you uh, if you're going to judge me. Then he says this, and this is the thing I hope you can bring into this week, and this is the chains that I hope are broken for you this week. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Judging yourself can be crippling. It can be crippling. I'll give you an example. I've been learning Spanish for like, I don't know. I should be way farther, okay? It's been like five years. And I try different things, and I try tapes, and I listen, I watch novellas, and I do all these different things, and I listen to Duolingo. And then, and then I'm getting, I get better and better and better, and then I talk to a Spanish speaker, and my brain goes blank. My brain just empties out. It's like, I don't know, I don't, can't even say tortilla anymore. It's like, I just, I don't know any Spanish. Why? Because of me. Because I'm judging me. I should be farther. I should know more Spanish. You went, I took a college course in Spanish. And I don't speak as well Spanish. Because my brain gets all tied up. Because I have expectations for myself. What's your space? Maybe it's not speaking Spanish. Maybe it's playing an instrument. Maybe it's, it's how you are as a parent. Maybe it's your career. Maybe your boss comes and talks to you and you don't feel smart enough. And so you get all tongue-tied with your words. Paul says, I don't do that to myself. Well, how do you get there? That's hard, the expectations where you have. He says this, my conscience is clear. Oh, here's an indication. But that does not make me innocent. You ever meet those people 
who are like, I don't care what anyone thinks. I don't care. I'm, I do whatever I want. I say whatever I want. You ever meet those people? They, it, it's what we call, they lack self-awareness, <laughs> really, you know. So we're, what's, what's the thing? I don't judge myself, but I, yeah, I'm not innocent. Like, like, what is that? Like, I do need to kind of examine myself, but I don't judge myself. And then he gives you this. This could be very freeing for you, or it could be very scary for you. It is the Lord who judges me. That could be good, right? You're like, oh, good. I, I'm off the hook for myself and others. So you've got that out of the way. But depending on your thinking of the Holy Spirit, of God, of your Heavenly Father, like, he, he judges me? Like, isn't that incredible? Well, how does he do it? How does your Heavenly Father judge you? How does Jesus look at you? How does he value you? Paul goes on, and uh, we're going to look at an example in the Bible uh, in a bit, but Paul goes on, it's the Lord who judges me. And then he, in three verses from there, he kind of brings it all under wraps, like all of this thing, because maybe, and I'll speak to some of you out there, some of you really struggle not, uh, because you're so hard on yourselves, you project that onto others. Some of us are very judgmental as it relates to other people. Some of us read articles and some of us uh, read social media posts and we judge that person. We see what's in that picture. We see what they're doing. We see what they're saying. We see how they're voting. And so we take all of our insecurities and all of our self-righteous human wisdom and we take it and we just put it on those people. We take our human wisdom and we judge and we have expectations. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to my sermon last week because we talk about that. And it is hard. So he goes on. Three more verses. He says, for what makes you different than anybody else? He, Paul's coming. Now he's, he's, he's throwing punches. What makes you different than anyone else? What makes you so special, right? What do you have that you did not receive? And, what did you, and, and if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Here's what he's saying. For those of you who have met all your expectations, for those of you who are feeling really good about yourself, that maybe no one in your family went to college, and you did, and now you have a great career, and when you go back to those family reunions or maybe a high school reunion, you are feeling yourself. You just feel, wow, I'm the best. What, where'd you get all that? What, what, what does your value come from? See, whether we meet our expectations or don't meet our expectations, that is not what we base our value on, that's human wisdom, and it means nothing to God. God is concerned about how does the fruit of the Spirit manifest itself in your life? Where's the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control? Those are the marks that your heavenly father is interested in. All those other things, what makes you different than anyone else? The answer to that is nothing. What do you have that you did not receive? The answer is nothing. And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? So, 
How do we get past this? Well, we're going to switch from 1 Corinthians and we're going to go look at the life of a disciple. Um, the most famous of all disciples, Peter. And, uh, and so what I want to do is just show you where Peter failed his own expectations, where he failed every expectation that you'd have of a disciple. Of course, if you were a disciple and if I were a disciple, we would have killed it. We would have been so amazing. Um, but here's, what, here's some things that Peter did. Uh, one, he was uh, frightened by the storm. So Jesus is there with him, sleeping in the boat, and there's a storm, and he thinks they're going to die. He rebukes Jesus. This is a pro tip. This is extra. It has nothing to do with the sermon. It's just a pro tip. Do not rebuke Jesus. Okay? It's just, it, it won't go well for you. But don't rebuke him. He rebukes Jesus and tells Jesus he can't die. Well, Jesus dying is kind of the gospel. So uh, it was kind of important. He starts yapping on the Mount of Transfiguration. So what happens is there's this mountain and Jesus goes up and his whole body is transfigured into like glowing white. Like he looks like an angel. And he's there with Moses and Elijah. So like three of the most important people, I don't know, ever, are not only on this mountain, but they're glowing. And Peter starts going, yeah, it's really good that we're here. Like he starts talking to them like he, he, like he has something important to say. Then he says, you know what, well, I'm going to make up some tabernacles for everybody. And Jesus is looking at him with his, like, all his transfigured self. And he's like, what are you doing? So Peter does that. Uh, he tells kids to get lost. Like Jesus is, has all these little kids around and he tells them, get out of here. He cuts off a dude's ear. Okay, so Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. It's going exactly as, he, as planned, as he knew. And so Peter takes out his sword and cuts off the guy's ear. And then Jesus, like Mr. Potato Head, like puts it back on. I don't know how, that, how he did that, but he did it. He, that's what he does. He falls asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus warns him two other times, and he still falls asleep. Jesus basically called him Satan at one point, which is, if you're a disciple, that's frowned upon uh, in the disciple business. You don't want Jesus calling you Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. Uh, he doesn't understand like half of what Jesus teaches like these different parables he like pulls jesus aside ah, i'm sorry so the sower went out to sow and some seed fell on different things like could you explain that to us he walks on water oh wait no he doesn't he like does for a little bit but then he gets scared and kind of fails that whole thing he's arguing over who's the greatest which is again frowned upon in disciple circles he volunteers Jesus to pay the two drachma tax. So basically someone comes up to Peter and goes, hey, does your rabbi pay the two drachma tax? And Peter's like, yeah. And then he has to go inside and tell Jesus that he threw him under the bus. And Jesus is like, go fishing, catch a fish. The, he squeezed the fish and the money will come out. And I don't know how he did that either. He won't let Jesus wash his feet. And so he gets rebuked. He denies Jesus with curses and oaths, even, be, even after Jesus warned him that he was going to do it. And then finally, he quits the apostolic team to go back to fishing. How in the world do you not meet any of your expectations as a disciple? And how in the world would Jesus respond? 
And the way Jesus responds to Peter, I'm telling you, this is the way he responds to you and I. This is what we're going to see is how Jesus approaches you in the midst of your failed expectations for yourself. In the midst of my failed expectations as a dad or a husband or a pastor. When I don't measure up to my preconceived human wisdom of who I'm supposed to be. This is after Jesus has risen from the dead. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus. If my name was Didymus, I'd change it to Thomas as well. Uh, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. And Simon says, I'm going out to fish. I'm done with this whole Jesus thing. Now, get this. Jesus has already shown himself to Peter. Don't you think if Jesus rose from the dead, you'd be like, I'm in now. Peter gives us an example. I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got in the boat. That night they caught nothing. And early in the morning, Jesus stood at the shore, meets them in the midst of their walking away from the ministry, essentially. He stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. Neither would you. He called to them, friends, haven't you any fish? In other words, you weren't that great at disciples, and you're not very good at fishing either, are you? Is what he's saying. He didn't actually say that. No, they answered. He says, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. It goes on to say there was 153 of them. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is actually John, that's how he refers to himself. Okay, I don't, <laughs> okay. Uh, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, in other words, John would say, then I said to Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter's response is what your response should be, what my response should be. When I find myself in the midst of my unmet expectations for myself, and I hear the voice of Jesus calling out to me, hey, how's it working out for you? Terrible. Okay, right? As soon as Simon heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped in the water. Family, this is it. This is the key. This is how Paul said, I don't even judge myself. There's someone who judges me that does it with godly wisdom, that does it with a heart of mercy and a heart of grace, who knows me better than I know myself and says, why do you have that expectation for yourself in the first place? I don't have it for you. But others have it for you. They've embedded that into who you are, maybe because of your family of origin or, 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 or what you've read or what your friends think you should be or what the next door neighbor does or what your circle of friends are all wealthy and you're barely struggling. What? Jumped in the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. For they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there on it, and fish. 
and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Basically, he's saying, bring some of the fish I just caught. But he's very kind. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. Which I think is really awesome because it like took everybody in the boat to bring in the fish. And then Peter like drags the net by himself. Uh, the dude was, must have been yoked because that's pretty awesome. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come. And have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Right? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And did the same with the fish. Jesus is meeting their needs. Not their expectations. He's meeting their needs. It was the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now watch what happens. They finish eating. Jesus says to Peter, hey, come here. I want to talk to you. This is Peter who rebuked Jesus, denied Jesus, wouldn't let Jesus wash his feet, and then was like, okay, you can wash my whole body. And Jesus like, okay, let's just stick with feet, okay? He goes through all these things, he he's, he's, doesn't understand stuff, and he stumbles off of stuff, and he overreacts, and he cuts off people's ears, and all this kind of stuff. Jesus says, hey Simon, it's between you and me. Do you love me more than these? He's talking about the fish. Like, what, what, how are we going to move forward from here? Are you going to fish your whole life? Are you going to, is that your identity? Is that your expectation? What, because your dad fished? Because, you know, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, their, their dad fished. Like, is that, is that what we're doing right now? Do you love me more than that? As the worship band returns, Jesus says this, you know I love you. Now, scholars get caught up. There's actually two words for love. Jesus uses agape, which is unconditional love. And uh, Peter uses phileo. Um, which I think is funny because it's phileo fish, right? Because there's fish there. Okay. I don't, I'm sure you can't even hear what I'm going to say next because you're laughing at home so much over that joke. But he, Jesus uses agape and, and Peter just comes with, with the best he can. Like, it's almost like you, you're dating someone. You say, I love you. And they, they say, I'm really fond of you too. <laughs> like, that's what happens. And Jesus says, okay, I'll take that. Now feed my lambs. You're not, your identity is no longer a fisherman anymore. All those expectations, all that family stuff, all however you were as a disciple, well, I'm throwing it all out. And I have a new value for you and a new calling for you. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus says, and he uses this uh, agape. Simon, do you agape? Do you love me unconditionally? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I think you're awesome. You're a great friend. I feel very strongly for you, is what Peter's saying. Jesus says, okay, we're changing your identity. You feed my lambs. You take care of my sheep. This is now who you're going to be. I've given you a new identity and a new value. A third time, he says, Simon, do you love me? Again, he uses, a God, he uses phileo now. He comes down to where Peter is. And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. All of these unmet expectations. And Jesus says, okay, I can work with whatever I have in front of me right now. 
He says, feed my sheep. For you, I don't know where you are. I don't know the relationship you have with your heavenly father or with Jesus. I don't know for you if you haven't met your own expectations. But listen to me very clearly. You have a heavenly father. You have a savior who says, where are you at? And you say, all I can muster is I want to follow you. I, I want to be a part of this. And he says, okay, I'll use that. Forget about your past. Forget about what you've done. Maybe you've never actually accepted Jesus into your heart. You've never, maybe you haven't even felt you were worthy of that. Like he, you know he knows what you've done. Maybe even last night he knows. And he says, what do you got that you, I can work with? And he says, this is it. And he says, that's all I need. I'm going to take it. Maybe you've never prayed the prayer, but we call it the prayer of salvation. It's not even in the Bible. We just have a prayer. Because he doesn't, it's not about a prayer. Maybe you, for the very first time, you say, God, I need you. I, I'm not, it's not working for me. You yelled from the shore, how's it working? Terrible. He says, okay. And maybe maybe at this point you just give your life over to him you say I'm a sinner I'm messed up I don't meet even my own expectations would you just forgive me he says yes that's why I died that's the gospel yes it's foolishness to Gentiles to Greeks yes there might not be a sign that the Jews asked for but the wisdom of God is more powerful than human wisdom maybe this is the first time you just say Jesus would you just be Lord of my life and he says yes. We're going to end with one more song. and uh, Maybe during this time in the comfort of your home or wherever you are listening to this and you say, Jesus, I just want you to meet my needs. I just want you to give me my value. Forgetting about what others think. I'm not even going to judge myself, but the one who judges me is you. And you do it with gentleness and mercy. Lord Jesus, Pray for you. We pray for ourselves, Lord, as we come with these expectations that maybe we have not met, or maybe we have met them, and we realize what am I? This doesn't make me valuable. We just lay all those things at your feet, ask you to take them, and to take us into your arms, and to say, "I got you." We're going to move on from here. Feed my lambs, tend to my sheep. We're going to be about the kingdom. Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, it disconnected because I preached too long. So, this blessing is only for everybody in this room. <laughs> so, now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would go this week in his peace and in his strength and in his joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, and we will see you next Sunday.